Coming up on this week's edition of Please Bear With Me, Andrew Miner is alongside to discuss all things Baylor football, including but not limited to a dominant victory over Texas, looking ahead to the Mad Hatter and Kansas, and a rematch with Oklahoma for the Big 12 title. Come on, this is Please Bear With Me. Let's go! Twenty-four to three. I don't care what the officials tell you. I don't care what the scoreboard tells you. Baylor just dominated Texas, and we are here for this week's edition of Please Bear with Me. My name is Scotty Swingler, and I am joined this week by a good friend of mine. You've heard him if you've listened to the podcast. He does the Minor Minute, and he is going to be my co-host this week. Andrew Minor, how you doing, buddy? Hey, Scotty, I'm, I'm doing great. Uh, technically, Texas did get that touchdown in with one second to go, so this isn't any uh, 2012 Holiday Bowl here. Oh, stop it. That was even worse. That was even worse. They didn't even cross the goal. God, now I'm angry that's my, about that's that. That's my point. That, that wasn't even a touchdown. All right, so I suppose it could be worse, but that was pretty... <laughs> I mean, that, that's pretty petty, isn't it? A little bit. Do you think that in the same situation, Rule does that? Probably. I think I think the majority of coaches do that because you're trying to score. You're trying to give your team momentum. Uh, I didn't I didn't really have a problem with it. It was just one of those things uh, that the game was over. And I think all the fans were kind of just like, seriously. Um, but I think as a coach, as a competitor, you have to do that. Man, there's part of me that thinks that rule would do that and, and preach like this is us playing all four quarters. Yeah. And then there's part of me that thinks that he would just run the clock, like get the ball back with 40 seconds, hand the ball off twice, and and you go home. Yeah, well, let me be clear. I didn't have a problem with it. It was just unfortunate for the Baylor side that they couldn't get the, uh, you know, the fourth quarter shutout, you know, no touchdowns. Uh, it was kind of just a funny way to cap uh, the end of a dominating performance. Did you see Rule chewing out Gary Bohannon after he failed to convert on that fourth and one? No, I, uh, I I actually I missed that, um, but from the press box I couldn't I couldn't see that. But uh, I did see some of your tweets about that, and um, that's that's great. I mean, that's coaching till the end as as well. So both Rule and Tom Herman just coaching till the end. Yeah, it was really clear on television. So Gary, like at first, I thought he had gotten the first down just by his reaction. Like he jumped up and he was laughing and smiling and joking around with the guys. And I was like, oh, wow, he got it, you know. And then I saw the offense leaving the field. And because I was at a sports bar, they didn't have the audio on. So I'm not hearing any commentary. I'm just watching. And the offense is running off the field and Gary's like beaming. And Rule grabs him and kind of hollers at him. And it looked like Gary just said, okay, yeah, yes, sir. And tried to like move on. And Rule like grabs him and like, didn't let him walk away and just ripped into him. And then Bohannon's face got really serious and his eyes got really cold really quick because it was like, oh, like, yeah, I actually screwed that up. But, you know, again, not because he didn't convert, but because he didn't convert and then was all beaming about it instead of, Right, he was happy about the failure. And, you know, that's where Rule can – it's a coachable moment where you can say, hey – if you got the first down, if you did your job, then we wouldn't have to put the defense back on the field and deal with right. extra plays and potential of them scoring a touchdown and injury and 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 all the likeness. Um, but no, I did not see that. Uh, you know, from the press box, I was up there with uh, with Tim Watkins and um, near the end of the end of the games, kind of things get a little uh, chaotic up up there in terms of we. Uh, Tim and I were trying to get you know final stats and numbers. Uh, um, posted to to the site and people were running around and you got to catch the elevators before the final two minutes and all all that jazz to get down to um field level to do interviews and, and things like that so i um i did not see that but i'm, I'm glad coach rule uh chewed him out so let's uh dive back into that game what did you see what did you like anything you didn't like you know what's your 
just general thoughts and observations coming off of the win over Texas? Just dominating performance. So there are a couple things, right? If you look at the stat sheet, it's pretty much dead even across the board. Uh, both teams gained 391 total yards. Uh, it, you know, it was dead even, but if you were there, if you were watching on TV, Baylor thumped Texas. It was a methodical, just butt whooping of, of the Longhorns um, all day. It was very evident who the better team was, even though it was only 7-3 at halftime, uh, which was a little worrisome because, you know, a one-score game, anything could happen. Just, you know, a, a bad call or a bad play um, could change the tide, but very methodical in the second half, and Denzel Mims made some great plays. So I loved every aspect of it. It was just – there wasn't anything fancy to it, Scotty. It was just very – pure and simple um, execution, especially in the second half. The, the only thing I would say I did not like about it was, man, we, uh, we keep putting the ball on the ground, don't we? Yeah, and I, I'm standing up in this place I was watching the game screaming every time it happened, especially when Denzel dropped it and it went rolling out of bounds. I was just hollering at the TV. But, yeah, I think those are fair observations. And I'm – I – can't remember 391 of those yards they gained I guess a ton of them were obviously there in the last 40 seconds and then they had 60 some odd on Ingram's run yeah 68 yard run with that ended five seconds before yeah so it's a lot of meaningless yards they had but still like you watch the way our defense played I'm shocked they almost gave up 400 yards that's that stat you said it well does not reflect what was happening on the field and and you know I'm a guy that Anybody that's argued sports with me will tell you I turn to stats quick. Like I think stats are really important because they're unbiased and it's just what's there. But there's a lot of dead yards in those 391 yards that didn't do a whole lot. And, you know, the only thing Texas was really able to do was have Ellinger run for his life. And I thought that once once again you had just – it cannot be overstated, and the media is finally picking up on it, but those of us who have watched Baylor have said it all year, it cannot be overstated how good this defensive line is, all three of them. You know, James Lynch is going to get all the press, and he should. You know, he's the now all-time sack leader at Baylor. Congrats to him. That's a really nice accomplishment for him, and, you know, he's earned it. He's a baller, and, you know, he's a going to be a high draft pick, I think, if he uh, – whether he comes out this year or more likely stays and comes out after his senior year, I think he could go really highly in the draft. But James Lockhart and Bravion Roy, I mean, those guys are ever bit as important this season, especially with it being a three defensive lineman front, especially I think Roy may be the most understated hero of that group, just absolutely eating up space and double teams in the middle and stopping the run, getting to the quarterback. It's really hard for defensive tackles to rush the quarterback. That's why there's so few of them who do it well. And for him, you know, he's only, what, six foot tall? I mean, he's a shorter defensive lineman. And for him to dominate the inside like he does is just so impressive. I think those guys are so key to what Baylor does. Yeah, they're, they're forceful up front. Three three guys just getting pressure on the quarterback, um, you know, without anybody else. Uh, that's why we haven't really blitzed. Um, so often, you know, we haven't had the need to blitz in order to get pressure. The pressure's there from those three guys up front. They're just mammoth uh, human beings, um, really physical, really strong, and they're getting to the quarterback uh, all, all the time. And there was uh, the one one picture of uh, who was it that just crushed Sam Ellinger in the in the end zone um, right after he threw it away. Lynch, I think. What was it, Lynch? Okay, <clears throat> I couldn't I couldn't Maybe. remember who who did it, but now I feel bad. I don't. Golly, I know the exact hit you're talking about, yeah. Yeah, I think everybody, there's tons of photos. It's just, it, that photo sums up the entire afternoon for Texas, in my opinion. Um, kind of just barely sca- scraping by, you know, uh, Sam did complete the pass for a, a sizable gain on that play. Um, but, you know, like we said about the yardage, a lot of yards, but uh, the end result was just Texas getting crunched. Yeah, Sam made a lot of really good plays, and I'm going to get to that in just a second because there's a there's a rumor that's been going around about me all season that I need to address. Um, but what you mentioned about the defensive line and being physical, it's why the linebackers are so effective too because I think Bernard got in on a sack yesterday. I think Lynch was in the backfield at one point. I don't remember if he got a sack or not. Blake Lynch, I mean. 
And I was I was actually watching the game with some new friends of mine who are Texas fans, and they were like, how are your guys consistently getting in the backfield? And I explained to them, those three defensive linemen are so good that when the linebackers blitz, it's almost like the offense either doesn't know it or isn't worried about it because they're so focused on stopping those three guys that Bernard or Blake Lynch or Jordan Williams or whoever stunts, and they come out of nowhere for that quarterback. And that scheme is just working really well. What you said also made me think of something else. There's, there's a segment of the Baylor fan base who still feels like we're not as athletic as we were under Bryles, and that's just not true. I, you know, Matt Rule said a few weeks ago in a press conference, he mentioned, you know, there was, a, there was an idea around the locker room that if we made you strong, you wouldn't be fast anymore. And that's simply not true. And I think what you're seeing when you talk about the hits, when you talk about the defensive linemen, when you watch John Lovett absolutely destroy a tackler and put his face mask into the dirt, what you're seeing is exactly that rule has brought and, you know, his strength staff, they have brought strength. I mean, true, honest to God, like that we, we talk about Wisconsin or Nebraska having those corn-fed boys. Uh, you know, rule has brought that kind of strength to this team while maintaining speed. I mean, don't tell me this team isn't fast. Look at Denzel Mims and Tyquan Thornton and Ebner and all those guys are, are fast. But we're so much stronger, and I think that's why you're seeing a more complete football team. Yeah, the, the defense is flying, and um, it's funny. Uh, so James Lynch's uh, middle name is Husker. His dad was a walk-on. Right, I, don't know I if saw, you saw that. that. I did see, you that. Saw that? I did see that. Yeah, so his dad was a walk-on in Nebraska. He always wanted to go and play at Nebraska, and um, uh, but he didn't. And Baylor fans should be really happy that that we have him. Hopefully, uh, for for another year. But he's definitely going to play on Sundays, and he's definitely an All-American. I've been saying that all, uh, all year. I mean, I was mad he wasn't a finalist for any of those awards that were announced yesterday. Honestly. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what else you have to do. Um, <laughs> to, to to get up there, he's uh, you know he's top five in the nation in sacks. Uh, not not top five. He's ninth in the nation in sacks, ten point five. But he's he's number one in hurries. He's right. number one in hurries by a lot. Uh, I think by at least five is what the stat I saw. And you know I think when you're looking at those awards, if you say oh he's only ninth in sacks, I think that's a mistake if you don't consider the fact that he's on a three lineman front. Yeah, he's getting doubled. You know, all, all those guys could, you know, in theory, be getting double teamed on any any given play. Um, and yeah, no, uh, I just wanted to get the stat right. But you know, I think what else do you need? You know, that the sacks just give it more. Uh, give should give you more ammunition to give him. Uh, you know, all the accolades and the awards. But I can tell you, I've, I've you know, I spoke to him after the game, and you know, they're they just want to go one and zero this week against Kansas. They just want to you know keep going. But I'm sure. You know, at some point in the back of their minds, they're all kind of chomping at the bit to get back to OU. So hopefully, they can take care of Kansas and then, uh, you know, pull off something special in the Big Twelve Championship game. Yeah, and we'll—I promise—we'll move on and talk about something else other than these linemen. But I want to mention one more thing. I think it's so important that he comes back next year, and part of that is obviously from a team perspective. I think you need him back next year. We are losing a lot of talent going into next year still have a lot of talent here a lot of talent and a lot of talent coming in but losing a lot and so getting James back would be huge but also for him the unfortunate truth about college football is going into the season you have a preconceived bias of who's good and it's really hard for someone to come out of being not a part of that bias you know and win an award. It's why, honestly, I still am kind of shocked that Robert Griffin was able to beat Andrew Luck because Andrew Luck came, came into the season as the, like, by far favorite. Like, this is his Heisman to lose. Yep. And Griffin was able to, you know, have a better season and beat him for it. So I think James Lynch was a household name for us, but he was not a household name in the country going into this season. And I think if he comes back next year and Baylor is coming off a double-digit win season, regardless of how it plays out, He's going to be a household name around the country, and I think he could really get some recognition and some credit next year, which, even though NFL scouts are better about avoiding that bias, I think if Lynch comes back and has a dominant senior year and makes good on all of the hype, I think he goes really high in the draft next season, whereas 
I don't know where he goes this year, maybe third or fourth round, you know, ju- just judging on how some things have gone. Yeah, people were talking, you know, three, third, five, fifth, oh, third, fourth, fifth round. Um, but, yeah, I think he could come back and probably improve his draft, uh, draft stock, move up to the, you know, the, the second round at least. All right, Andrew, so I want to address this, and I'll let you be the voice of reason and tell me if I'm crazy or Happy tell to me do if, it. Yeah, I know you are. Tell me if I'm crazy or tell me if I'm not nuts, you know. So I made a statement in my very first episode this season. I said, we will beat Texas at home. I have no doubt about it. They are overrated. Sam Ellinger is overrated. That's all I said. And I have gotten nothing but flack from people for saying that. Well, we're here towards the end of the season. Texas is barely going to get into a bowl game. They're not back. They are not that good. You know, they are asking some big questions headed into this offseason. And Sam Ellinger is a good quarterback. I've never said he's not a good quarterback. And he's tough, and he competes, and he has a lot of the same attributes that I like about Charlie Brewer. Like, really, he's a good player. But I said he's overrated, and that's true. Because you'll remember, you know, he's on the cover of Dave Campbell's Texas Football. Texas is ready to whatever. He's... You know, everybody's Joel Clapp before the season, and Joel Clapp might be my favorite college football analyst on the big networks, but he he was pumping Ellinger up as the Heisman favorite, and he's going to come out and just destroy people and blah, blah, blah. He's not that good, Andrew, is he? I mean, he was making some impressive plays out of nothing against us. Like that throw out of the end zone, impressive. He had, he had, he had one more where he was all but down with a sack and made a ridiculous throw up towards the line of scrimmage and gained seven yards. You know, like, Ellinger can play, but he is not, like, I just think he is a above-average fighter. I don't think he's a special college quarterback. Am I nuts for saying that? Am I being a little biased because I'm a Baylor guy, or am I am I onto something there? What do you think about Ellinger, considering the way he's played all season? Yeah, so... I think I think he's a good quarterback. I think he's a fierce competitor, um, and you saw that on display on Saturday. He he was without Colin Johnson, so that, I think that really hurt him um, yesterday or Saturday at least. But I I think he's good. I think he's very you know he's an above average quarterback. He's exactly what you you want in a college football quarterback. Um, you know if you're a fan of any any team. Uh, you know, someone that gives you a chance to win, that that can run, that can throw. Um, he, like like you said, he was making great plays yesterday, and um, you know, I think you just have to tip your hat to him. I think he is very very good. Um, Joel Klatt is you know is a Big Twelve homer. He definitely has a, a bias having played in the in the conference and um, has a bias towards pumping up the Big Twelve, which is great because I think not enough people in the national media do that. Um, but the the Heisman talk that you mentioned at the beginning of the season, I I don't recall hearing too much Heisman talk about uh, Sam Hel- uh, Ellinger from from a national perspective. Um, it was all about Tua and Trevor. I'll try to double check it. I think in Vegas he was like the third or fourth highest odds, which means that that's what people are betting, dude. Yeah, I mean you you might you might be right. I I just don't. I, I all I remember is just you know Justin Fields, just uh Justin Herbert, um, Tua, Trevor Lawrence. I, that those are the guys that I um remember as as being hyped up. You know, kind of those. You know, you talk about brand and you know national recognition. Those are the guys that I remember. I don't remember Sam Ellinger, um myself being being pumped up for the Heisman too much I'm, I'm sure he was but um I just I just don't remember so I I can't you know not as much as as those guys uh to me which which is fine I I know that he was definitely considered you know hey maybe a dark horse if he has a stellar year and he, a Heisman worthy year then maybe Texas is in you know winning the Big 12 and in the college football playoff but that there was a you know he did a lot of great things and he did a lot honestly he did a lot of things to Baylor that were similar to what Jalen Hurts did to Baylor the week before where he was scrambling out um out of sacks and and tackles you know uh, in the backfield and making great gains making great throws to extend drives to convert third downs um Jalen did it much better much more efficiently and 
did it all all second half on on that particular particular night but they're very very similar um the difference in those two games is that uh Jalen Hurts had a Heisman moment coming back from 21 down in the second half uh Sam Ellinger scored a touchdown with um one second left in, in regulation down three scores here let's play a game let's play a game let's see who you would let's see how good Ellinger is you ready yep we're gonna start with the obvious who are you taking Ellinger or Trevor Lawrence Probably Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, me too. Who are you taking, Ellinger or Tua, if healthy? Tua. Yeah, me too. Who are you taking, Ellinger or Justin Fields? Justin Fields. Who are you taking, Ellinger or Joe Burrow? Joe Burrow. Okay, so that's that might be obvious. Those are probably the four best quarterbacks in the country, and I left Herbert out. I think Herbert's overrated too, but we could get into that another time. I agree, but I thought I remembered him getting hype preseason. Yeah, he was. He was very hype preseason. Yeah, I agree. And he's still, by the way, Herbert's still supposed to be a first-round draft pick. We'll see. Okay, so let's let's look more at the Texas or the conference. You ready? Ellinger or Jalen Hurts? Jalen Hurts. Me too, all day. Who are you taking, Ellinger or Brock Purdy? That's a good one. Uh, it's a coin flip. I'd probably take... I'd probably take Ellen, Ellinger. Okay, we disagree. I would take Purdy. I think Purdy's bigger, stronger, more physical, and showed me something against us in the fourth quarter that Ellinger didn't show me. So I don't and, think – I would ahead. only say I don't think Purdy's been as consistent as you want him to be all, all season. That's, that's up, a coin flip. He's put up much better numbers than Ellinger this season, if I remember correctly. I'd have to pull it up. Maybe I'm an idiot. Um but he is like torching Iowa State records. I know that he's he's having a quietly good season. Okay, so Purdy and Ellinger is a coin flip. You take Ellinger, I take Purdy. You take Ellinger or Chuck? Uh, Charlie Brewer. Me too. You tell me why for you. So I will say that's probably a coin flip as well. If we're trying to be as unbiased as possible, um, but both of those guys, same mold, same makeup. You know, Austin High School legends runners that you know i think ellinger ran 19 times uh on saturday brewer ran 18 times uh both led their teams in in rushing yards i I believe um and both both can throw it um and sling it with the best of them and they're both fierce competitors uh you know say what you want about sam ellinger but you know um he's a big reason why they're at least bowl eligible right now it's definitely not where Texas fans want to be, but uh, if if they don't have Ellinger, I don't know if they have a couple game winning drives against uh, Kansas State and and Kansas, which is you know very. It may sound funny, but I mean Sam Ellinger drove him down the field. Uh, but I mean Brewer Brewer all day. I mean they gotta gotta take Brewer. He just seems to make the plays when you need him to. He's tough. He's physical. But they are both of them are the same mold. But I'd take Brewer. Yeah, I agree with everything you said. Okay, here's a fun one. Ellinger or Shane Bouchelle? <laughs> right? Uh, probably, I mean, I'd probably say Ellinger, but I'd, um, I mean, I'd, but it's I'd tough. really have to do some research. It's tough, yeah. Right, that's my point. Like, it's tough. Um, okay, here's two more. Th- this is really challenging. In fact, I don't know... I'm still trying to decide what I say on these two. Ellinger or David Ash? <sighs> I'd probably just go Ellinger, but you're really stretching the, the banks of my memory. <laughs> Ellinger or Garrett Gilbert? Ellinger. I'm probably with you, but I probably take Ash over Ellinger and then Ellinger over Gilbert. My point is, I you know, Texas has had struggles getting a lights-out quarterback since Colt McCoy. You know, they have Vince Young and Colt McCoy back, two of the best six or seven college football players ever. And then they've had the kind of a lull. And I don't think Ellinger has I don't think Ellinger has broken that lull. I think they look at what Charlie Brewer's doing. I think they look at what Jalen Hurts is doing. I think they look at what JT Barrett did at Ohio State. I think they look at a lot of players and think you know, we still have not found the guy. I don't know. 
and it's hard. I'm going to get flack for this. I know if you're listening, you're going to give me a lot of heck on Twitter or whatever for this. It's fine. Tweet him. I, dude, it's just, I've never seen anything out of him that blows me away except his effort. Like he is a yeah. good, he's a good football player and he, you said it well, he is in the same mold as Charlie Brewer, who I love. So I get it, but okay we've talked about that so, too much. so i'll give you one other one other thing just like ellinger and brewer are the same mold i would say texas and baylor as teams are kind of in the same mold as well just because both of those teams need everybody on the team to perform from defense to offense to to running etc neither baylor or texas at this point has the luxury to rely on a trevor lawrence or a tua to to really just carry their team, you know, like a, a Vince Young or a Robert Griffin III to just carry their team and, and kind of erase the mistakes. Um, now, both both quarterbacks are capable of erasing mistakes, and we've seen that on multiple game-winning drives from each of them. Uh, but, but the team, uh, Baylor, you saw that on Saturday, right? Baylor's much more a fuller team that's built in such a way where, you know, they can... They can kind of any flaws that Brewer may have, they can they can cover that up in in other areas, most notably on on defense, right? Um, but both, you know, obviously both quarterbacks are, are very great. But that's just one one thought that came to my mind. No, that's great. That's a great observation and a great point of per- comparison. And yeah, let me just say to give Ellinger some credit, I have no doubt that that's true. And I have no doubt that he has less support than Charlie Brewer has today. And that's mostly a credit to Coach Rule and his recruiting staff, McGuire and Sean Bell and all those guys, and the players they've been able to get in over the last three seasons and get into the right positions. I was telling somebody the other day, like, how crazy is it that Blake Lynch plays six different positions in college and he might have a shot to make the league as a linebacker, dude? And I think if you watched him freshman year playing receiver, like that is not someone you'd identify as a potential NFL linebacker, but he's really, Matt Rule just has a knack for getting him in the right positions to be successful. Yeah, I agree with you. Today's episode is brought to you by Matt Shelf of the Shelf Realty team at Caldwell Banker United Realtors. Matt is a Baylor grad and a longtime listener of the podcast. He and his team in Houston are pros and can help you buy, sell, or rent whatever your real estate needs are. As a young guy, Matt is great with renters and first-time homebuyers, and he employs a lot of cutting-edge technology to give experienced homebuyers and sellers a great experience, too. If you or someone you know is looking to move, even outside of Houston, they're happy to give you a free consultation and market report just for reaching out. You can find them online at www.shelfrealty, that's C-H-E-L-F realty.com, or on Facebook at the Shelf Realty Team. The Shelf Realty Team, you, your goals, your home. All right, so let's let's stop dogging on Texas, and I'm sorry, Sam Ellinger, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Like, really not trying to be a jerk, that's just... It's hard to admit, I'm pretty stubborn, it's hard to admit when you're wrong, and I don't think I'm wrong. I think you are an above average, tough, physical, fun to watch player who gives his everything and is screwed over by Tom Herman, and injuries I know are tough right now, like, I get it, but yeah. He needs he needs better support around him. He does. He needs better support around him. He Texas does. just needs a better team around Sam Ellinger. He does, although... Texas fans and recruiting websites would have you believe that they have a better team around him. But I digress. I digress. Let's move on. We've talked for almost half an hour about beating down Texas and mostly Sam Ellinger because I'm obsessed with that topic for whatever reason. Let's talk about this upcoming game against what quietly has been a much improved Kansas team. They look really good this season. I know they only have three wins, but they have been competitive in just about every matchup. I still I, I still believe that Les Miles might be the best coach in the Big 12. And I know that might sound crazy, but he's the one with a national championship ring. Like, he's proven he can do it. He's coached in the SEC, and, 
you know, if you're looking at Big 12 coaches, there's definitely nobody with a better resume, you know. Um, and if you don't believe coaching works in college football, just look at how good they are this year compared to what they were the last couple seasons. Like, he's got them playing at a level they haven't played at since they won, what was it, the Orange Bowl? And I think in two seasons, they're going to be competing for top three, four in the Big 12. So, Baylor goes in. Baylor's the clear favorite, but no doubt, like, if Baylor even a little bit looks ahead to Oklahoma again or doesn't take them seriously, I have no doubt Kansas could win this game. Andrew, what are your thoughts going into this matchup against the Kansas Jayhawks? So I just want to clarify for your listeners, Scotty, you think that Les Miles is the best coach in the Big 12 above Matt Rule. Go tweet him, guys. At please bear with me. Today, yes. That opinion. No, listen. I I am <laughs> all on the Matt Rule train. I've been saying all season that he is one of the best coaches in the country, that he is the best coach for the job at Baylor, that I would take him over. Here, can I say it that way, Andrew? I would take Matt Rule for Baylor today over any other coach, including Les Miles. But he does not have the experience nor the resume nor mostly the in-game experience that Les Miles has. Les Miles is coaching some big games, dude. I, I we can't we can't dispute that. I don't think we can dispute the the resume for sure. But currently I you know and and the job that they've done this this year uh I I mean Kansas lost 12 12 to 7 at home against Coastal Carolina. I'm just giving you some some flack and, and giving you a hard time about that, but uh, I, I agree with you on on everything else, right? Uh, if if Baylor looks ahead, even for a millisecond, you know they could be in some hot water in Lawrence on on Saturday, um, Thanksgiving week. They just clinched. It was a coronation of the, you know their football program on uh, on Saturday, beating Texas, advancing to the to the Big Twelve championship game, first ever in history. Oklahoma clinched later that night against TCU, um, so you know you have a rematch against a, a team that you know, hey, we probably should have beat at home. Um, you feel like you left one slip away, and um, you know they, they definitely need to stay focused against Kansas because at, at Big 12 Media Days, um, there are four new coaches, first-year coaches in the Big 12, right? Um, and And surprisingly, to me anyway, Coach Miles was the most energetic and most optimistic sounding of all four of them. Um, you know, some of the other ones were a little, you know, downtrodden or just trying to, you know, not make too much of a, a scene. They knew that knew that they had work to do, and and Kansas obviously still has a lot of work to do. But uh, Coach Miles was, you know, uh, go listen to his his opening you know speech at Big Twelve Media Days, uh, at his presser. He was getting me fired up about the Jayhawks. He has a way of doing that, doesn't he? He is so good in front of a microphone, in front of a camera. Not only is he a great football coach, he's one of the most entertaining football coaches we have in the United States of America, honestly. I'm so glad he's in the conference. But, yeah, I wonder if Baylor, on one hand, like, let's go one to know this week. This is our season, right? Like, let's just go win. But I wonder if behind closed doors, if the coaching staff wouldn't tell you this is our last tune-up before the big one. Like, we need to try some concepts. We need to try some players. We need to experiment a little bit. We need to try to be as consistent on offense as we can be because we're warming up for the championship game. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I I think they definitely want to get as many people, you know, playing and in there. Um, I, I think they want to be – probably lean more towards the conservative side of play calling and you know not you know for uh you know not not to let any you know cats out of the bag and not to try a bunch of like you know fake things that they might need for uh for the big 12 championship game i think it's going to be i just have a feeling it's going to be a very conservative play calling effort i know fans hate that i hate it myself um you know, like the TCU game and any other game where we've uh, maybe not been as aggressive on on the offensive side, but I think they're going to try to go into Kansas. I think they're one hundred percent focused on on Kansas and going one and zero this week. But I think you're right. I think 
there's got to be a way of managing the game so so that a they don't lose and b nobody gets injured so how can they get in win and get out with as little collateral damage as as possible because it's you know we have to win and uh hopefully we you know just keep everybody as as healthy as possible there's, and i think that's why there was a lot of uh you know intrigue and and questions surrounding brewer after the texas game and um you know because he left the left the field with what looked like a potential you know concussion he took a shot to the head uh but everybody's saying he's fine um i've seen no reports about you know the head i've only seen people uh reporting that his ankle's fine uh, so um so it'll be interesting to see you know if he plays how how uh how long he plays for it'll just be it'll be very interesting just and to put in perspective uh you know northwestern went to the big 10 championship game last year um you know right another program that's you know not a traditional power in the big 10 right and they clinched with you know with a week left in the in the season um actually two weeks left in the season i guess and um, their final game was like home against Illinois and Illinois was really bad last year. They've done a remarkable turnaround, uh, this year with Lovey Smith, but you know, that game, uh, was very conservatively called. They almost, they almost blew it to Illinois. It was like a one possession game for the majority of the, uh, of the time. But I think that might be something similar that we see with Baylor, Kansas this week, just trying to you know, kind of game manage a victory without injury, just get out of Lawrence uh, as quickly as possible so so we can focus on Oklahoma and the Big 12 championship game. Well, you brought up something that I, I've been thinking about for a few days, and that's, and I know who Matt Rule is, so I know his answer to this question, okay? But what would you do? Would you play Charlie Brewer? Yes, in a word. I don't know that I would. I don't think you need to play him the whole game, but I think you need to play him. I think you need. I think he needs to start. I think he needs to be out there, um, because right. Because otherwise, I don't like resting players for the whole whole game. It, it definitely. I think it's it messes with the psyche of 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 athletes when they're not in there, and especially if they feel healthy. If if he was like you know, definitely something was, was wrong. And, and there, there might be, I mean, all the reports are saying, you know, he's fine, but I wouldn't hold him out just to hold him out. I would put him in there. Now, if he only plays a half or, or whatever, um, you know, so, so be it. Um, I'm going to tell you, you can say what you want about him being fine or the ankle or whatever. He had a concussion. Like I have no doubt about it. It looked bad. One, he had he was showing no signs of an ankle injury when he left and went into the locker room. I guarantee you they were looking at his head. Number two, this is another thing I think that where watching it on television actually benefited me, even though I would have loved to have been there. He looked gone. He looked out of it, didn't he? Yeah. I mean, there's a reason the refs yeah, there's a reason the refs sent him back to the sideline because he got up and like you know that look in somebody's eyes? It just glazed over, and and they look lost. He had that look. I mean, it kind of freaked me out, and I was really thankful they sent him off. I was mad they didn't call targeting by the letter of the rule, but you know, thankful they sent him off. And um, I just wonder, in the same breath, I'm going to tell you that Kansas is capable of beating us, and yet I think we're capable of beating them with Gary Bohannon at quarterback. Yep. No. One hundred percent. Both thing. Both of those things can be true. I agree with you on on each. And if if Charlie Brewer is you know in fact injured, if there's anything wrong with his head, definitely keep him out. It, it because it it definitely looked like that on uh, on Saturday, and um, seems like we're talking about his head nearly every week uh, last season and and this season. I, I don't. He's already I think after this last game carried the ball more than he did last season. I, I need to look it up, but he's been our leading rusher in, I want to say, at least half of our games. Well, it was a stated goal coming into the season. we got to learn how to run the ball. We can't let Charlie just take these shots. And yet, he's already carried the ball more this season than he has last season, and he is taking shots. And, dude, I know he's tough, like, and I know he like does not shy away from contact, and that's what makes him so fun. But also, I just got done last week talking to Seth Russell, and... 
crying over the stories of his injuries, especially his neck injury. And I just cannot, like, if I saw Charlie go through that, if the team saw Charlie go through that, and you can't play, and you know what Matt, and this is what I said, I know what Matt Rule's response to all that would be. It's, we can't play scared, like, we can't treat this week like it's not important. We have to go out there and play like we're playing for the national championship every week. And the truth is, if you beat Kansas, you still have an outside shot at the college football playoff. If you lose to Kansas, that shot is gone no matter what you do in the Big 12 championship game. So I understand the argument that Brewers should play and that we should try to win, you know, to keep those playoff hopes alive. But I'm thinking, you're not going to beat Oklahoma if Brewers not playing. So it's a, man, That's those are those decisions coaches have to make that you live and you die with the consequences, you know? Yeah, I definitely know. And interesting point on, on needing the running backs to to run the ball so Charlie doesn't take as many hits uh, against Texas. Baylor running backs only carried the ball 13 times. Brewer had 18 carries. Against Oklahoma, Baylor running backs only carried the to- the ball six times. I forget how many carries Brewer had, but it was a lot. Um, I mean, 13 and six carries by the running backs in, in two really marquee games. That's just kind of blows my mind. Well, and here's the reason is because Brewer is more effective mostly out of draws or broken pass plays, but listen, and I know I know part of this is an indictment on the offensive line, but you've got three running backs who are capable. Like Lovett is a good back. Hasty is a good back. Ebner has shown he's had some struggles this year, but he's shown he can be an explosive back and Man, I think for the Baylor fans who've been crying about how much we run the ball, the last two weeks have to scare you, in my opinion. You've got to go back to giving the tailbacks a lot of carries. And with Galvin back and looking good, and with Tecklenburg playing better than ever here toward the end of the season, don't you have to go back to running the ball up the inside 15, 20 times a game? Yeah, I don't know what the exact number is, but I think you definitely have to go back and trust trust the running backs and lean on them a little bit. I think Kansas, like you said, is kind of a good way to, to do that, you know? Um, and I think we can run the ball, right? It goes back to, you know, holding on to the ball. Uh, Hasty had that, you know, the big run against Oklahoma, the first play of the second half and, uh, you know, fum- ultimately fumbled the ball and turned the whole game around. Right. But, uh, so I think, I think it's trusting them and, and maybe using the game against Kansas to, to kind of build, you know the confidence back up, every everything like that to uh, to say, hey, here's what we're gonna do, and we're we're gonna we're gonna get out and and go. I'm gonna make a weird statement. I wish Squirrel Williams was healthy. Yeah, for sure. I think as good as these three running backs that we've leaned on for three seasons now are, and they are all very good. Squirrel has that Lake Seastrunk breakaway speed and shiftiness that, yeah, and I don't think any of our current guys have. I know a lot of people want to compare Hasty or Ebner to Lake, and it's just not there. The comparison just isn't, it doesn't exist. Craig Williams is the only guy that is that dynamic. And I'm not saying he'd be the solution, and we've only seen him on, what, three carries ever? Something like that. But I just wonder, you wonder if there was somebody that explosive to spell Hasty and love it. And I know Ebner's been hurt, and that's part of it. But, God, I wish Craig Williams was healthy. No arguments from, from me there. But, yeah, I'm just hoping that, uh, you know, the fan, the fan of me just hopes that we can go in there and, and take, care of, take care of business, right? Because I'm definitely, as I'm sure a lot of people are, really looking forward to the Big 12 championship game. But you just don't want this. I just The biggest fear for any Baylor fan, I think, is that this doesn't turn into... 2011 when Baylor went to Lawrence and that was with a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback and a worse Kansas team and and a and a very bad Kansas team um yeah uh now we we survived but gosh it took a 21 point fourth quarter comeback and a stopped two-point conversion in overtime to to escape a 31-30 and that doesn't include Mike Hicks getting an interception in the end zone earlier in the game to stop Kansas on another drive. Right. Yeah, that game was nuts. 
So you stop, let's, you know, obviously Baylor's game plan is going to be to stop Puka, make Kansas throw it. I think if we do that, we're going to be very successful on defense. I have no reason to think we won't be very successful on defense. Question mark is going to be the offense. And I think what, I think the dream case, Andrew, is uh, Rule's going to play Brewer. So your dream scenario is Baylor takes a 28-point lead into the half and they sit Brewer. When have we ever taken a 28-point lead into the half? <laughs> Almost against Oklahoma. What was that? That was 21, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it would have been... No, it would have been 28. They scored a touchdown late, right? Oklahoma did. Yeah, so it would, that that was really close, Andrew. It was really close. So that that's... But you're right. I, again, I'm talking dream scenario. I'm not... That's not what I think is going to happen. What do you think... Or let's do that. What do you think is going to happen Saturday? What do you expect? Yeah, like like I said, I think it's I think it's conservative play calling. I think we go and and do business. I think it's I think it's probably similar to um to 2017 when we went in there and Brewer made his first start as a Baylor Bear, uh, where you know we're we're kind of methodical about it. We're you know our defense is stingy. Um, we do we do some mix of run and pass like you know the the typical Baylor uh, staple that we've grown to know and love this season and last season and um and I think it's kind of one of those things where we just build a lead but I don't think it's going to be as quick um uh, I'd love for it to be quick I'd love to be wrong there um I, I think it's just methodical I think we're probably maybe up um you know 14 17 at at half uh and then kind of extend it to you know tw- you know 25 or um 28 by the end of the game. I think that's kind of how you, I would expect the cadence to go because two parts, I think Kansas is going to be motivated, fired up to kind of spoil any outside playoff hopes that Baylor has. Uh, Les Miles, like you pointed out, is a is a heck of a coach, um, has been able to get them up for, for big games already this season. And I think uh, Baylor is going to be conservative um, with the play calling, might be conservative with the playing, playing time that they give uh, Brewer. So... I think it'll just build up the, you know, the score kind of be one of those weird, you know, 31 to nine games or, uh, you know, just one of those weird Thanksgiving layover um, oddball scores that you look at and kind of scratch your head about. But I don't think the game uh, will will be in doubt. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. I think Baylor wins by 20. I'm just going to leave it at that. I don't know how it happens. I don't know who plays. Baylor wins by 20. And I'm praying Brewer stays healthy. Really quickly, let's let's do what we're encouraging our team not to do and look ahead. Yeah, we can. We can. It's a lock. It's clinched. Baylor Oklahoma rematch, as we suspected when we lost Oklahoma. You know that was already most likely the case. Now it is. And Oklahoma, dude, continued to struggle. TCU had every chance to win that game and blew it. You know, and I know a lot of people are fussing at the ref about the spot there at the end, and it was a terrible spot and I agree with everybody who's complaining but TCU had about three chances to win it you know in the fourth quarter before that didn't get it done but played Oklahoma close just like they played us close and so I continue to think that this is a really even matchup dude and we saw it in Waco and I think we're seeing it in how other teams are playing Baylor and Oklahoma it's an even matchup two very very good but not just unbeatable teams Obviously, the big question for Baylor will be, can you play as well as you did in Waco with CeeDee Lamb on the field? And I think, you know, for Baylor, what Baylor has found, though, is that Jamison Houston might be the most improved player in the country and has been able to shut down Tylen Wallace and Jalen Rager and match up man-to-man against really good receivers and make plays, even though, you know, he doesn't have the stats necessarily to show it, like interceptions or whatever, but he is shutting down receivers in a good way, along with Grayland Arnold back there ball hawking at safety. So you got to think, like, Baylor's game plan is going to be the same. Let's go get Hurts. Let's make Hurts uncomfortable. Let's shut down CeeDee Lamb with Jamison Houston, maybe bracket Grayland over on his side. And from there, you just have to execute four quarters. God, it's going to be a great game, isn't it? I'm just super pumped. I'm just so amped. I can't even describe the enthusiasm that's just seeping out of my pores. Um, I was there. Uh, were you there, the game day experience? Were you live at the Oklahoma game? I was not, man. I brought up 17 students and a couple of volunteers from church that day, so 
I was not going to be able to drag them up there for that. And then no, no, no but you were at like the game a, though. You were at the game. I line. was at the game. I was not at game day. I was at the game. Right, right. That sorry, that was my question. But what was what was the feel? What was your feel? You know, when we were when we were students, there was always kind of this feel that kind of hovered in the air on campus before big games from that 2011 to 2015 era, where it kind of just felt like you knew we were going to win. Um, you just couldn't explain it. Just this kind of crazy, weird feeling um, where it's just like, yeah, we, you know, we have no reason to win, but it just feels like we're going to pull it out. Uh, specifically, 2011 when they played Oklahoma. What in the stands? What was your, you know, how did you feel as the game kind of progressed along? You know, with the atmosphere and all the vibes and everything like that. What what did you just feel about the game? Yeah, dude. I mean, I was pretty confident we were going to win it, and. I had a good feeling, obviously, the whole first half. We we did we looked like what we all wanted Baylor to look like all season. Like, everything was clicking. The stadium was electric. Fans were getting excited. I mean, it was great. And But I did look. I mean, I came. One of my volunteer chaperones who came up from church is a big OU guy. And he was kind of hanging his head at halftime. And I looked at him and said, this game ain't over. Like, this is a dadgum good Oklahoma team, and I feel great right now, but like I told him at halftime, you guys could come back. Like, and I and I believed that. Um, and I think when the you're talking about the feeling and the atmosphere, I think when all of that changed was on that hasty fumble. You know, I think Oklahoma comes out and scores to start the half. Okay, like we're still up big. You're still completely in control of the ball game. Let's go score. Let's keep playing well. Hasty, I mean, because that was one of those momentum plays. You know, where for three seconds, you're elated. Like, Hasty's breaking off this big run. Can he go to the end zone? Like, oh my gosh, we're going to keep dominating them. And then all of a sudden, all of that deflates. And they have the ball, and you're like, oh. You know? And I think that was the moment when my gut sank, and I was like, we're going to lose. And I never, you know, and I say that, that was my gut. I never thought we were actually going to lose until... Charlie threw the interception to end the game. I mean, even when we when we got the ball back with a minute 45, I looked at the same Oklahoma fan, and now he's electric. And I looked at him and said, you gave us the ball with too much time. And he said, you have no timeouts. I said, it don't matter. Like, I've, I have seen this script before. Like, I know what Charlie Brewer and Matt Rule and Denzel Mims and company, like, I know what they're about to do. And, you know, for a couple of plays, it looked like they would do it. And then, you know, just... It's football. Things happen. You don't pull that one off. But yeah, man. So that I would say that the feeling was great until that hasty fumble. And that's when I think the whole mood changed. And I, I meant to ask you, you brought it up. So I'll transition back over to you. This is the first time that the sign has been defeated. Are you mourning a little bit? Like, have you buried it in the backyard yet? <laughs> uh I love the rumors of the sign. It's so great because um, that's actually not the first time it's been uh, defeated. So, uh, yeah, I was very disappointed. Um, but the sign, as I said in that minor minute a few weeks ago, was was it's more about the belief and just believing that you have, you know, have the ability to win and um, just believing in yourselves and and, and the team. Right. <clears throat> I, and but it definitely man. I so I. I covered right covered that game and I covered it f- live from the student section. Uh, so I was deeply ingrained about the forty yard line, you know, three rows back in the student section. Um, the whole the whole game. It was actually probably funny if anybody saw it. I was just in this full suit suit and tie with thousands of my favorite freshmen in gold line jerseys around me. Um, but that's where I chose to cover the game from and um and cover it live down down there and it was it was awesome and and that feeling is just so electric being in in the line um and and yeah of of course we didn't we didn't get the win but even uh with you know when they hit the field goal I was just like just hold them to a field goal we'll get the ball back with just under two minutes to play honestly I think Charlie Brewer is going to do it because I was on a I was on a um a CBS radio show that was previewing the Oklahoma Baylor game the week before, or, you know, the week leading up to it a few days before. And they asked me to make a prediction and what do I know? Right. But I, 
I was like, it just feels like Baylor's going to win. I think Brewer's going to leave it, lead a touchdown drive, win 40, you know, late in the fourth quarter, win 42-38. I think they're going to be down three, and Brewer's going to lead a touchdown drive. And, and sure enough, that's basically what happened. And I was like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? He's going he's gonna to do it again. He has five fourth quarter game-winning or game-tying dri- drives this season alone. Um, you know, when down or when tied. And, and Charlie Brewer is going to do it again. I, this is going to be unreal. Um, of course, it didn't happen. Th- throws the pick. Um, you know, the signs defeated, which uh, is unfortunate. And, um, but you know what? It, uh, you know, I said it, I, I kind of said it before as well. You know, every, every, it seems like every other team gets the, the benefit of having, hey, you can have close losses and, if it's a weird, one of those weird games, you lose by a field goal, and that's your only loss on the season, and you you can avenge that, like, you can get back into the playoff. Well, lo and behold, that's that's exactly the uh, predicament Baylor's facing right now. They can avenge that and potentially get back into the uh, playoff conversation. Um, they've already gotten some help from Arizona State beating Oregon um, over the weekend, so I, I definitely fully believe that Baylor is uh, in control of their own desti- uh, destiny. Yeah, and I just don't trust the committee, dude. Like, because what you just said, like, if you compare Baylor to Georgia, why is Georgia so high? If you compare Baylor to Bama, why is Bama so high? If you compare, like, there's all these comparisons that Baylor, as far as a resume and a good loss, is up there with everybody and is still not ranked very highly, which is disappointing. Um, Dude, so Charlie Brewer not only threw an interception to end the game, he ended your shot at a career with CBS Sports. I know. I know. That's incredible. You were spot on and one touchdown away from being, you know, the prophet there. Yeah, right, a prophet. Yeah, yeah whatever it is. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean just I mean the game was amazing and when he threw the interception just Definitely felt defeated. I couldn't believe it. It was just, as the game wore on, it was just something that you wanted so badly. You know, like, anytime you want something so badly and then you can't get it or you don't get it, it really hurts. And I think that's the feeling Baylor is carrying. And, uh, you know, hopefully they beat Kansas. And then I think they'll carry that feeling into the Big 12 championship game. And, you know, it could, obviously, for both teams, it's probably the last opportunity to impress the committee, the um, the the committee that really can't be trusted. I agree, agree with you there. Um, so it could go, you know, I it could go either way. It could be a neutral field. Oklahoma gets C.D. Lamb back. Hurts plays, you know, like the best player in the nation, and, and they kind of, you know, run away with it like they have in the past Big 12 championship games. Or it could be, uh, you know, um, close, and Baylor scores a couple, and they get a key tor- turnover, and, hey, they're running the ball with the backs well, and, they're they're doing things, um, you know. They hit a key field goal, and they you know turn the momentum at some point in their favor instead of the other way around uh, back in Waco, and you know they hang around in there long enough to, you know, to win the game. I I, I see both uh, options as as very plausible, um, but my my biggest fear is that Hertz is the best player in the nation. He should win the Heisman hands down, hundred percent, not down in my mind. Uh, it you know it should be Hurts as Heisman, and he's, you know, he torched us in the second half. Uh, he obviously did not play a great first half, so I'm sure he would be thinking the same thing, Oklahoma thinking the same thing of, hey, you know what, we just have to play four quarters, play a full game, and, you know, we got this. We, we can beat these guys by two, three touchdowns, 100%. So it will be, uh, it, it should be interesting on a, on a neutral field. So we don't have a ton of time to discuss this. We've gone about an hour. Time flies when you're having fun talking football. Like I could, I could do this for three more hours, but we won't do that to you. Um, I actually disagree with you. I think it's Burroughs Heisman. I think Burroughs been the best player in the country this year. I think I might have given it to Hertz um, before they lost to Kansas State, and maybe even before Baylor. But he looked so vulnerable. He looked so vulnerable against Baylor. And I know his favorite target was out. I know Baylor's defense is going to make a lot of quarterbacks look not their best, right? Like that's that's the bragging point of pride for Baylor this year is, is how well they've been able to get after good quarterbacks, including Sam Ellinger. But Jalen Hurts is a great player. He is, you know, if Baylor and 
OU lineup, he is arguably the best player on the field, although C.D. Lamb and James Lynch might also have a say in who's the best player on the field, right? But a lot of great players. Jalen Hurts certainly probably the favorite to be the best player in that game. But And I won't make any official prediction until we see what we do against Kansas, right? But I think I agree with you. I think Baylor losing in Waco is actually really good for Baylor's psyche. And I think every aspect of that loss is good for Baylor's psyche because it wasn't that you got beat. It was that you did not finish. So, you know, you know, hey, we are just as good, maybe better than Oklahoma as a football team. Like that's the reality that you learn from that game. You also learn Oklahoma is a dadgum good football team and we cannot give them a moment. Like we cannot give them a drive. Like we have to be on all four quarters, every drive, we have to play them as if they could win at any moment, that they could take over at any moment. Otherwise, we're going to lose again, and we don't want to lose again. I think everything about that game is good for Baylor's mentality and psyche, and I think they go to Dallas with their hair on fire, and all I know is it's going to be a dadgum good football game, man. Like, I don't, I won't, again, I'm not going to make any prediction until next week. I'm going to see where my gut's at next week, but... Man, it's going to be a good game, and I expect big things out of Hurts. I expect, sorry, sorry, it's my trope. I'm sticking to it. I expect bigger things out of Charlie Brewer. I expect Charlie Brewer to have the game of his life in two weeks. Very possible. It's going to be, it's going to be a good one. I mean, just no other way around it. It's going to be, it's going to be great. All right. Well, hey, anything else we need to hit or you need to say before we close shop here? Yeah, I think just um, one thing I'll just say on the Oklahoma rematch, uh, Baylor's responded to adversity all year. It's been their mantra. It's been their MO. They've done it time after time all year. We've already said five game-winning or game-tying drives in the fourth quarter by Charlie Brewer. If you look at that Oklahoma game, there are two moments. Uh, One was after the first touchdown by Oklahoma in the first half because that was a, a uh, a teetering moment where... How how is Baylor going to respond? They drove the ball for about four minutes and kicked a field goal with three seconds left. Um, that was a big response to the um, to the adversity. And then how did they go from losing on such a national stage where so many people said this this their season begins today and this is the only thing that matters and everything else that they they did was ir- irrelevant? How did they perform on the national stage the next week? Well, they manhandled Texas. And they responded to adversity there, right? And so I think the Big 12 championship game is about responding to adversity. And I, I'm with you. I think if they, uh, you know, if they can keep it close and they can do that, then, um, you know, we might be talking, you might be talking about, uh, you know, Baylor winning a Big 12 title in a few weeks here. Yeah, and I'm with you. And again, we'll address this a lot more on the podcast next week as we actually prepare for that game. But my biggest hope going into this game, the title game, you know, We've talked plenty about Kansas, this podcast. We're assuming that we're going to find a way to beat Kansas, whether it's pretty or ugly, it's going to happen. And you go into the Big 12 title game, and my hope, and I'll say it even more next week, is that Baylor fans treat this Big 12 title team like they did the last two. I think there's still some weirdness around what happened and the guys who were here when that happened and the guys who are here now and there's a lot more naysayers amongst the Baylor's fan base about this team than there were about those two teams. I mean, I'm still seeing Baylor fans whine about Jeff Nixon, whine about Charlie Brewer, whine about even Matt Rule at times, whine about the style. And the only thing I would say is if Baylor goes to Dallas and beats Oklahoma and wins a Big 12 championship, not only should you treat this team as well, but you should treat this team better than you treated those other two because of where they've come from and because of how quickly they've gotten to this level. And furthermore, I'm going to make a case this team is better than those two teams if we can win that game. It's a much more complete team. That's all I'll say about it. We'll talk more about it next week. You want to go in another hour here? That's what you're no. up. <laughs> Maybe next week. Next week we'll hit it. Next week we'll hit it. We'll hit it next week. I uh, I just really love this team and love what Coach Rule is doing and – the fact that we're even in the Big 12 championship should get him coach of the year, hands down. And, you know, I just, I'm so appreciative of it and enjoying it so much as an alum instead of a student. It's been so enjoyable to see these guys get back to that level. 
So proud, so excited. All right. Everybody should just enjoy this. Just enjoy it. It's a, yeah. an amazing ride, an amazing ride. I couldn't say it any better, man. Okay, hey, for Andrew Miner, thanks so much for being my co-host this week. That's all we've got. Maybe we'll do it again sometime. For Tim Watkins at Baylor 247, for Travis Thompson and Iron Kids, and the music that we have on this podcast, for everybody who makes this possible, thank you, Sikkim Bears. Let's go get a win in Lawrence. See you next week. Please Bear With Me is brought to you by Bears Illustrated over at Baylor 247. Thanks to my man Tim Watkins over there. Thanks to Martin Thomas for producing the podcast this season. I'm your host, Scotty Swingler. All the music you've heard today was from Iron Kids. Check them out at Iron Kids Music. See you next time. Oh, 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 o